Hi there, I'm Thomas Peterson. Welcome to my podcast about mountain biking in Scotland. This podcast will give you an insight in the world of mountain biking and the history and present that surrounds it. I will be talking to experts, giving you stories and advice about the different aspects of mountain biking. Welcome to my podcast. For as long as I can remember, I have always loved to ride my bicycle in the woods or in the countryside. Me and my friends would race our bikes down steep hills or forest trails and we loved it. We didn't have expensive bikes, just ordinary rigid bikes with nubby tires, which was more than enough to have fun in the dirt with. Nowadays mountain bikes come in many various designs meant to be used for all sorts of riding, but basically mountain bikes are just bicycles specifically designed to handle off-road routes and rough terrain. To ride a mountain bike is something special. With the right kind of bike there are no limitations, you can ride anywhere you like. Almost as long as bicycles have been ridden, they have been used for off-road biking. One of the first examples in history was in the late 1800s, where Buffalo soldiers used their bicycles on the expedition from Montana to Yellowstone and back in August 1896. Later on, this form of bicycling was not only meant to be used for traveling long distances, but also for keeping you fit and healthy. Another example of off-road biking is in the beginning of the 1900s, where road racing cyclists used cyclocross as a way of keeping fit during the winter. Cyclocross eventually became a sport around the 1940s, and the first world championship was held in 1950. The first kind of competitive mountain biking was born. The earliest ancestors of modern mountain bikes was found in the mid to late 1970s, where riders from Marin County, California customized their old cruiser bikes and adapted them to use in off-road riding. They fitted them with better brakes, fat tires and motocross handlebars and used them for freewheeling downhills and mountain trails. They were called clunkers. This also was used as a term since the word mountain biking was not yet used. Obviously these bicycles were not meant for that kind of extreme use, so the manufacturers had to construct better bicycles for that kind of use. So in the early 1980s road bike companies started to design off-road bikes called mountain bikes. This led to that the first two mass-produced mountain bikes were sold in 1982, the Specialized Stump Jumper and the Univega Alpina Pro. After this the market exploded and mountain biking became huge in the years to come. Now mountain biking has moved from being a little known sport to being a huge mainstream activity. Mountain bikes are being used by everyone. Whether you are a businessman biking to work each day or a child playing with your friends, whether you like to go uphill or downhill or jumping or just would like to go for the extreme, there are mountain bikes out there that would suit your every need. I went to McDonald's Cycles bike shop in Edinburgh to have a chat with professional trials bike rider Danny McCaskill who is working as a bike mechanic in the store. Danny McCaskill is well known in the mountain biking and the trials community and is considered by many to be one of the world's best trials bike riders. McDonald's Cycles is a well established bicycle store in the heart of Edinburgh and offers expertise in everything from road bikes to high-end mountain bikes and equipment. I am uh, Danny McCaskill. I work at McDonald's Cycles as a, a bike mechanic and I also uh, do demos and ride trials bike and that's also sort of part of my job as well. I do do a little bit of work up on the shop floor. I try to avoid it. <laughs> I, I prefer to be downstairs in the basement just fixing bikes. You know, that's what I prefer doing. You don't don't really get bikes talking back. Just sort of an easier life down in the, in the workshop. Working all sorts of bikes from, you know, a lot of the bikes we work on are commuting bikes. 
that you know people get to work on and uh, we do a lot of work on mountain bikes and road bikes as well so just all sorts you know full range we build bikes um you know if somebody brings a frame on our we can order just like frame and split from like the frame up you know and all, order all the parts we do a lot of custom builds as well now we mainly do giant and kona bikes and mainly mountain bikes um, we still sell a fair bit of road bikes and some sort of folding bikes, but it's it's mainly the sort of mid-range mountain bikes that you know keep the shop going, and that sort of suits me in the workshop. I quite like working on that type of bike. The Conan Giant are definitely the sort of best value mountain bikes. You know, all sorts of bike shops do different brands, but that's the ones that we do. But I think they're good. You know, I'm happy working on them anyway. So. Obviously, a talented sportsman need good equipment to perform his best. But does Danny McCaskill have to pay for himself, or does he have a special agreement? I don't get sponsored by the shop, I get sponsored by, uh, there's two companies, a company called Inspired Bikes and a company called Tarty Bikes, um, and they're two online companies that uh, sponsor me, so I'm lucky enough to get bits and pieces for free, just because I'm, I'm so rough, so I, I snap a lot of parts. It is more and more common to buy things on the internet, since it is cheap, easy, and you don't have to get off your chair and into a real shop to do it. Almost every internet shop guarantees good service agreements, fast delivery and cheap prices, which all sound very, very good. But can it really be that simple? Why do ordinary shops still live on if internet shops are so cheap and reliable? Why should I go into a regular shop to buy my bike or equipment? I mean, I definitely buy a bike from a shop rather than internet because on the internet you really don't get supplies with any backup whatsoever. Often the bikes will come unset up type thing or they'll get set up very badly because they sell so many of them. If you have any problems with the bike, you can't just go into the shop and say, look, I've got a problem and get it sorted out. Like Things like warranties are a real pain as well. And quite often, certain online companies will buy stock from different countries rather than from the supplier so that you uh, basically avoid the warranty off the bike. So, you know, you end up having this bike that you might be really happy with for a couple of months, but if you have any problems with it, then, you know, you've got absolutely nowhere to go apart from having to go into a bike shop and you'll get charged for all the work uh, rather than getting under warranty or anything like that. And it's generally, don't know, you get to actually talk to people about, you know, what you're buying as well. But yeah, it's mainly the backup that you get from buying from a shop and you'll get it set up properly as well. I'd always buy from a shop anyway, so. So the choice is yours. Pay a little bit less for the bike on the internet, but more on the repairs. Or pay a bit more for the bike in a regular shop and get all service and setup included in the price. In the world of mountain biking, there are many different types of bikes. The most common type is the cross-country bike, which is mostly built as a hardtail with suspension in the front and a rigid rear end. This type of bike covers almost every aspect of mountain biking and can be used almost everywhere. Still many people want to specialize themselves in certain areas of biking or want to ride places which is too extreme for a standard mountain bike. For these purposes more extravagant bike designs can be used. There's sort of split into about four different categories I think. There's sort of cross country mountain biking which is your general, you know, you buy a bike that does it all, it goes uphill, downhill, all day kind of biking, you know. Generally they'll have a suspension fork in the front and a rigid rear end or sometimes they have suspension if they're slightly sort of fancier. Then you get sort of downhill biking which is a bike that's got around about 8 inches of travel and are designed specifically just to go downhill, not to pedal uphill at all. Then you also get dirt jumping, which is, you know, jumps and generally the bikes have got a much smaller frame and a suspension fork up front and sort of stronger wheels and sort of a heavier build on them so they won't snap all the time from doing tricks over dirt jumps. And then uh, what I mainly do is trials as well, uh, which is 
got a much smaller frame. It's a very sort of specific type of bike and it's generally not got any suspension at all on it and two very sharp brakes. And they're designed to sort of sit well on the back wheel while you're hopping and just to get over obstacles. I like to ride all sorts of bikes. It kind of keeps your skills up on everything. It's no use really being able to just ride one thing. If you can ride a trials bike, it kind of sets you up well for all sorts of biking because it kind of keeps you keeps you fit. You know, it kind of gets you balanced really good for things like downhill. You know, when you're going fast around corners, you need to be sort of well balanced on the bike. So it really sort of helps you do all that. It makes you kind of all round kind of rider. I like to sort of keep my skills up on all sorts of bikes, you know. Yeah, I really enjoy riding my big bike. I'd say almost as much fun as riding my trials bike. <laughs> Downhill riding is pretty different compared to regular cross country. Downhill riding is more a thing of speed and technique and to be the fastest on the track. Scotland has one of the best downhill tracks in the world at Fort William, where several World Cup races have been held. I had a chat with Danish rider Daniel Vexu about what downhill riding is all about and why he thinks it's the best sport in the world. Downhill mountain biking is probably best described as extreme mountain biking. Simply put, downhill mountain biking is, is about getting from the top of the mountain to the bottom as fast as possible. Of course it's a lot like uh, cross country, but the difference is that you have to have a much sturdier bike that's modified and built to handle the much higher speed and uh, all the big jumps and drops and stuff like that. That's part of downhill and not cross country mountain biking. My own bike is custom built for myself. I built it myself with various parts that fits me, all very uh, heavy duty parts built to cope with all the stress and all the big jumps and drops and stuff like that. That's part of uh, downhill mountain biking and of course the speed as well. Because it's custom built, it's quite expensive. It's like 3,500 pounds or something like that. So it's quite expensive. Downhill bikes are quite expensive. Again, because they have to be that more durable than cross-country bike. I started out actually riding cross-country. And cross-country is great and it's fun and stuff like that, but it doesn't give you the thrills and adrenaline kick that downhill mountain biking gives you. Because cross-country is not that much question of speed, it's more a question of stamina. And in downhill it's a lot more speed, but still a lot of stamina. So it's, in my eyes, a great combination. I love downhill mountain biking for the speed and uh, the adrenaline kick and getting in touch with nature. Now how much would it take to get a good mountain bike? If you go into a shop you will see bikes from around 300 pounds which look very good. Mountain bikes come in all shapes and sizes and in every price range. A decent beginner's bike can be bought from around 300 pounds. But it can be hard to tell what the differences are on a 300 pound bike compared to a very expensive bike. And also what to look for when getting your first bike. It all depends on what your preferences are. A good standard hardtail is not that expensive and can be used in most places. But if you want a bike that is great for all sorts of riding, you obviously will have to pay more. Definitely, it is a lot more expensive to get an all-round. I mean, my bike is probably about £3,000 or something like that. I ride a Kona coiler, and basically I've just I bought the frame and then I've custom-built it all, so I've bought all sorts of different parts of the bike. So, you know, that'll be kind of fairly unique. No, it's for that reason, just because there's certain parts that I would like on my bike that you couldn't buy off the shelf. I built it so that I wouldn't have to change anything on the bike, you know. All the parts will just last for a long time. Generally, I mean, the difference between my bike and like a 300 pound bike would be, I mean, it's just real sort of quality in the sort of parts. I mean, a 300 pound bike will go over the same thing, you know, like 300 pounds for a mountain bike, you're still getting a good quality bike, which will go 
up and down the hills and you'll have probably just as much fun on to be honest but if you ride it hard then it will end up breaking a lot more it's mainly just down to quality of like bearings and materials that are used you get a lot of customers coming in the shop and looking at the bikes upstairs seeing price tags for you know two thousand three thousand pounds on them and you, you know they look at them and think you could buy a car for that but in the bike world buying a bike for like three thousand pounds is like buying a sort of ferrari you know in the car world you're buying the real sort of top end it depends what kind of riding you're going to be doing because you could you could buy a bike for about 200 pounds which would you know get you around the trails i mean you definitely find that you're going to wear parts out fairly quickly i definitely recommend at least cable disc brakes on a bike just because you get better performance and they also don't wear out as quickly they don't wear your rims as well so upwards of like 350 is kind of like a good place to look at you're not going to have to replace like wheels or you're not going to have to replace general parts on the bike you'd sort of save money spending £350 on a bike that's going to last you longer rather than having to spend all your money in repairs on a £200 bike. So. Buying a new bike unfortunately comes with a few extra expenses. If not maintained properly, mechanical parts will sooner or later get worn down if you use them regularly. So either you have to get them repaired or maintained in the shop, or you could actually save some money doing maintenance on your bike yourself. Other than that, you will also have to get some protective equipment, so you won't hurt yourself falling off your bike. The level of protection depends a lot on your type of riding, but it's always better to be safe than sorry. I think the important things with like maintaining your own bike are uh, making sure that you've always got an oil chain, not over-oiled. A lot of people uh, use cheap oil on their chains, which can actually have a more damaging effect than actually not oiling it at all, because it picks up rubbish off the trails or off the road and actually makes your drivetrain wear out very quickly. Also just making sure that all the mechs and everything are kept oiled. You know, as long as you get your bike serviced regularly uh, at a bike shop, you know, your bike should be running good. It's mainly just keeping the chain oiled. I always wear a helmet for everything I do, and also I like to wear sort of bike gloves, not for protection, it's just for sort of comfort and grip to sort of hold onto the handlebars. But mainly gloves and a helmet, that's what I'd always recommend to ride with. So basically what Danny tells us is that it's just a matter of getting yourself a bike and go do some riding. The good thing about mountain biking is that you don't have to be any good to have fun. Anyone can do it. And it's up to you how seriously you want to do it. Mountain biking is the ultimate freedom. So I hope that some of you listeners have been inspired by my podcast and want to go to explore the hills and forests of Scotland. Thanks to Danny McCaskill and Daniel Vexer for participating in this podcast. This is Thomas Peterson saying thank you for listening and I hope to meet you on the trails.